Hello, audiobook fans. Welcome to another episode of Harper Audio Presents. We hope your week is going well. We hope you're not drowning in emails. We hope that you've recovered from the Game of Thrones finale, which, speaking of, endings are hard. Two people who understand that are the best-selling authors of Nexus, Sasha Alsberg and Lindsay Cummings. Nexus, on sale now, is the follow-up to the hit fantasy sci-fi space adventure, Zenith, and it's the final entry of their popular Indroma saga. We're going to bring you an extended excerpt from the Nexus audiobook at the end of the show, but first, we're going to get an interview with Sasha Alsberg. I was lucky enough to sit down with Sasha before the beginning of her and Lindsay's book tour, Lindsay, unfortunately, couldn't join us due to life getting in the way. We cover Sasha's transition from booktuber to author, how writing with a partner who lives in another state works, what's on her author bucket list, and so much more. So sit back and enjoy our chat with Sasha. So there's only two of us in here today, mm-hmm. not three. Unfortunately, I know. the world prevented Lindsay from being here I could pretend today. to be Lindsay. Oh my God. I just have to have more of a monotone voice because we, I'm like the chihuahua of the group and she's like the St. Bernard. We always compare each other to like animals. She's mm-hmm. like the really mellow and chill one. And I'm like the spastic, like yeah. just overly hyper one. <laughs> I think that she would love it if you just like did her voice throughout this. Hello, be totally- I'm Lindsay Cummings and I am the co-author of Zenith and Nexus with Sasha. And then there's me who talks really, really fast. <laughs> oh my God. She's going to love that. I know. Um, so I, I am curious though about how you make the decision to co-author a book. Uh, can you walk me through your your epic story of finding Lindsay as your writing partner? Yeah. So um, I was walking down the streets in New York one day and I just saw Lindsay in the middle of an alleyway. Um, mm-hmm. She was in a dumpster. No kidding. <laughs> we always like starting like our story up because we've said the story so oh, many yeah, times. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So we like always like mixing up a little bit. Sometimes it's me in the alleyway. Sometimes it's her. <laughs> but there's always an alleyway. There's always an alleyway. We yeah. love starting off in an alleyway. Um, <laughs> no. So um, it pretty much this whole entire story started off about uh, what was it, five years ago, maybe mm-hmm. almost six, when uh, Lindsay and I first met on the internet, which is kind of weird because like people are always like, don't meet strangers on the internet, internet, mm-hmm. you know, stranger danger and all that stuff. But it's fine because Lindsay and I meshed really well right off the bat. I was a uh, newbie book blogger and Lindsay was already a book blogger, actually. She was an author and blogger. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, right now that's kind of called like um, author tube, which is cool seeing oh, like the wow. growth of that. I yeah. didn't know that the, that the term had like changed that I know. Quickly as I well. didn't even know that yeah. until this past year when my friend used it in a sentence. So I'm like, author tube, I love that. <laughs> Not just booktube, but author too. Um, and so like I was uh, blogging about books and talking about them on Instagram and uh, Twitter and YouTube. And she was like, hey, um, can I send you an advanced reader copy of my upcoming debut novel, The Murder Complex? And I was like, oh my gosh, a real life author is messaging me and she wants me to read an early copy of her book. I've never gotten a free book before. I'm super, super hyped. So of course, uh, when I got in the mail, like, it was like honestly like the best thing ever. And then we just started a friendship from there because I loved her book. And then I just started talking to her more and more. And then she kind of fell off the wagon as like an author and onto it as a friend. I'm happy you said as an author at the end of it. Oh no, she <laughs> fell off the wagon. Yeah, I pushed yeah. her off actually. She fell off a literal wagon. Actually, yeah. yeah. Actually, Lindsay is not my co-author. She's like a uh, figure that we Photoshop into all my photos <laughs> and she actually is dead. <laughs> so it's like, it's almost like a Millie Vanilli situation. Exactly. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So just from there, um, we became really close friends and we decided, you know what, like, uh, Sasha, you're currently, go- this is like 
four years later. You're mm-hmm. going to school for creative writing at Emerson College, which I did not finish my degree in. <laughs> Don't tell my how, dad. How no, close, he knows. Yeah, oh, no. <laughs> Turn knows. off, dad. How close did you get to finishing? Um, I got a year in. That's um, good. And then I decided to write a book, and yeah. the book got picked up by you guys, HarperCollins, yeah. um, Harley Quintin, now Inkyard Press. And uh, so, yeah, now it... Uh, was published and I decided, you know what? I'm doing what I love. I'm going to put school on hold and it's mm-hmm. been on hold for the past three years. Everybody's you, graduating right now. <laughs> you hear that aspiring authors, uh, if you get a book published, you don't have to go to school. Exactly. That's, that's the message Just leave we're school, trying to spread. Don't do yeah. it. No, kidding. <laughs> if you want to go to school, to keep on doing school. But like, you know, um, me, I went back to school for a year, actually mm-hmm. online school. Um, and I went for history because I'm like, I'm already doing the writing thing. Might as well just go for something totally different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was really fun. And yeah, so Lindsay and I decided to write a book because I was going to school for creative writing and she was like, you know what? Like, let's just try something out. We tried it out. It ended up succeeding. And I, I kind of like say that I've stumbled into this career. And like, I mean that in the best way possible. I never thought I would be able to do this. And now here I am doing it. Well, that I think stumbling into it is honestly the best way for it to happen. Yep. I mean, that's how I got this job. I was in an alleyway around the oh, corner yeah. and they stumbled, someone literally stumbled over me yeah. and they just needed a warm body. Oh, so, that's so nice. Yeah. So they're like, you know what? Maybe like you have a nice voice. We can like use you for like <laughs> the you. audio department. Yeah, and exactly. like, it's really calming. Yeah. Like yeah. you should do like um, ASMR. Yeah. I, I feel like I have that effect on people. Sometimes <laughs> when I don't videos. want it though, like yeah. I'll just be like talking to someone normally and they nod off and it's like, uh-oh. It's like, uh-oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what does the actual process of writing with a partner look like compared to writing solo? Well, um, for me, I'm a very social person. I, if you cannot tell, um, I love I people. I get off their energy, yeah. you know, so when it comes to doing uh, creative endeavors, I love doing them with people. And it's kind of where that I fell into becoming an author because that's like the most solitary endeavor you could possibly do. But actually it is. And that's a really big misconception. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's a very solitary job, but like, um, when Lindsay and I started working together, uh, it was truly an eye-opening experience showing that you can do a solitary job, but you can also do with other people. And so working with Lindsay was definitely interesting because she was an author beforehand. She already had published, I think it's was three books, mm-hmm. four books, I think. She has a middle grade series as well. She's listening right now being I like, know, oh, like, she doesn't know the number. Timeline, yeah. get it down. And so like uh, she has only ever written with herself, nobody mm-hmm. else. So it was a learning curve for both of us. Um, me to be like, okay, Sasha, scale it back. You don't always have to be on FaceTime writing, but also for Lindsay to be like, okay, how do we, I work with somebody else on this project. And I feel like um, because we were friends before, that definitely helped because other, I've seen like, you know, partnerships, not in like writing necessarily, but like in other ways, like mm-hmm. where you take it from being friends to, you know, partners in a business and it could fall apart. But Lindsay and I, you know, we kind of are like sisters where, you know, we never really let anything get to like a boiling point. We always just like hash it out. We're like, okay, now we're good. Let's move on. And it's always been so great to have that. And do you, do you mostly work remotely with each other mm-hmm. or like how, what percentage like is remotely and what yeah. percentage is like in person? So this is a fun story. Um, okay, great. So uh, we got picked up by um, Harlequin in Care Press mm-hmm. and, uh, to publish our book. And pretty much once that happened, I was like, you know what? I'm taking time off of school. I'm going to move down to Texas to be with Lindsay. So I moved from Chicago to Texas. Lindsay and I drove a van down. A little bit different weather. Yeah. Yeah, Oh my gosh. I cannot express to you like how many like funnel clouds and tornadoes I've seen. (laughs) 
Like, it's serious down there. It's crazy. <laughs> you are like the cast of Twister now. Yeah, literally. Yeah. I was once yeah. driving, and I looked behind me, and there's, like, this, like, green sky. I'm like, got to get home, or else the Twister's <laughs> going to hit. I'm going to be like, Dorothy, and go off to, like, I was about to say Neverland, but that's the wrong story. No, Dorothy doesn't go to <laughs> the Neverland, Wizard of Oz. I don't think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. so um, I, I moved down there so we could work more closely, but then I realized the closest apartment complex is an hour away from where she lives <laughs> in the middle of rural Texas. So it's a quite a long distance. And, mm -hmm. you know, um, it was the first time I lived on my own. And so like, I was so grateful to have her as a friend. So I would make that drive and she would make the drive to me. And this was before she had a baby, uh, baby Z. And it was so cute. I can't wait to meet him. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it was uh, definitely a um, more, uh, more or less a remote thing for a while, but then it became, you know, we're like neighbors almost. But then I couldn't stand the weather in Texas because it was so hot that yeah. I ended up um, moving to Massachusetts where I went to school and uh, then we work remotely ever since. But we do travel to each other to plot mm -hmm. because we work best plotting together. And it's always fun. It's always much shenanigans. <laughs> so in what ways does that having having a second person there really like make your job easier? And, and are there times actually where it makes it harder? Like having yeah. another person to argue with. You know, it can make it easier in the sense that, you know, Lindsay and I will throw crazy ideas at each other. Mm -hmm. And some will stick and some will pass by, but the ones that we catch end up being really good. And we really trust each other and aren't afraid to share the most wackiest of ideas, um, which is really great. But also more negative side of it is like, you know, sometimes ideas can clash. And what is seen as good with one person can be seen as bad with the other. And there's kind of like this like standstill. It's like, who wins? Who gets this? Who gets that? And we always find a way to merge them together or just agree to keep them apart. Mm -hmm. uh, and I feel like when you're writing a book, to, to get to point A to point B and to the end, you kind of have to see where the story takes you. And sometimes you have to go back to point B or back to point A and reevaluate it. Like for Nexus, um, the second book in the Andromeda Saga, mm -hmm. we um, thought, yes, we're going to have like maybe the same amount or if not more point of views than we had in the first book. And then we were probably like six months into writing this book after like the first round of major edits that we got from our editor. And we learned, you know what, the storyline's really cluttered. Let's take out a storyline. It took a little bit of like, you know, um, conversation and debate on both of us and both of our parts to come to conclusion who gets taken out and what storyline gets to stay in. And, you know, that was like a really crazy thing, but it was really difficult because we had to really dig deep and be like, we're going to be deleting a lot of words if we do this. And it was kind of hard to do that, but having another person there to kind of see the pros and cons with was so helpful. To hit the delete button with you. Oh, to yeah. To literally kill your darlings. We, had, like, de we deleted like... I, I Lauren, my editor, she's going to kill us. But she like we deleted like, oh my gosh, I think it was like 30 to like 40,000 words. It was a lot. And the book went from like almost 100K. Like I just remember seeing that word count drop to like 50 to 60K. But then we worked our way back up to it. Yeah. But uh, it was it was a, an uphill battle. But it ended up working out so well. And I'm so happy we did that. You mentioned the... Uh the large amount of points of view yeah. uh, in both Zenith and Nexus. Mm -hmm. uh, the audiobook versions have super large casts to accommodate for this. So have you listened to the audio? And what is it like hearing a world that you built on paper and have read to yourself, like oh. brought to a physical life space by this cast? I love it. Oh my gosh. I cannot express to you how much I love the um, audiobook version of uh 
Zenith, but also I have not heard the Nexus one yet. So I'm Ooh. so excited. That's well, what my friend Stick around for the second part of this podcast. Ooh. We're going to play a clip of it. Oh, yeah. they're in for such a treat, and so am I. Um, the full cast narration is truly immersive. I personally love audiobooks, and I almost prefer listening to the Zenith audiobook rather than reading it because it's a different experience. Because me as an author, I wrote these words. Lindsay and I, you know, slaved over these words for months upon months upon months and years. And then hearing it in a different way, like actually listening to it and um, seeing the story being brought to you from a different medium than just on paper was so cool. It's almost like seeing the movie of your book, <laughs> but without pictures. Yeah. And it's, it's like so going cool. to see the movie of your book and closing your eyes the whole time. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's like the strangest thing. And you're also like, um, but can we have pictures? Hi. <laughs> movie rights. Yes. Let's see it on the big screen. But actually, I just love, love listening to it. And mm -hmm. I love listening to it with friends when we're in long car rides and they're not wanting to listen to it because they're like, Sasha, it's weird. You wrote this book. Because my friends, not all of them are like science fiction fans or readers. Yeah. And they're like, why are you making us listen to this? I'm like, because I wrote it and you're going to love it. And guess what? They ended up loving it because the audiobook is so well done. And they have different voices. And oh, it's just so cool. So in this sense, you're like the Kanye West of authors and that I, I've heard he likes to like play his own music while he's around like for no his way. friends. And like, that's what he listens to like you know in what? the car. Yeah. That is so strange. Because I feel like, you know, musicians they listen to their song on the radio maybe once and they're, yeah, like, they're like i'm good yeah i'm done that's so strange yeah and of course kanye would do that yeah he loves himself that much that's that's like purportedly <laughs> like i can't confirm yeah. or deny this personally i haven't spent that much time with kanye so <laughs> yeah but yeah. i honestly I, I love the narrators and um Jordan, she's the uh, voice of Andy. She did such a good job and it was really cool getting to meet her in person because she almost like embodies Andy a little bit and she takes her role to the best extreme where she is so engaged with the readers as well and she messages them and uh, contacts them and like, you know, she's so excited and seeing her enthusiasm makes it feel like it's not just Lindsay and I, but it's a whole entire group of people and everybody has a little piece of the story and they were a part of it. And it's just so cool seeing like this Team Z come to life. That's what we call uh, the <laughs> Zenith name, Team Z. Team Z. Yep, yep. And it's so cool seeing it grow. And like, you know, it's so cool getting to meet the voice of our characters. Mm -hmm. With Nexus being the finale of the Androma saga, I'm curious how much time you guys spent writing like just the last chapter or the final moments mm -hmm. or like like the end, air quotes, in comparison to the rest of the book? Was there like a conscious effort to be like, we got to stick this landing? Yeah, well, I feel like a lot of pressure is put on the ending of a book. Yeah. And at least for my part, because Lindsay and I both have very different writing experiences, um, because with this book, it was written very differently than with Zenith. Uh, not in a bad way. It's just like both books just needed different things. Mm -hmm. And so um, she was actually on maternity leave uh, for a month and a half of the editing process. So um, it was really interesting tackling this for the month and a half and being like, this needs to be living up to Lindsay's standards because <laughs> Lindsay's like so, so well organized. And me, I'm kind of discombobulated a little bit. Mm -hmm. So when it came to me like um, kind of doing the ending during that time, I was like, you know what? I'm going to put this aside and Lindsay and I are going to do it together. So fast forward a month and a half and uh we were editing the full book and then we got to the end and we put so much effort into the full book that the ending, we're like, let's just have fun with it. Um, so, because the thing is this book, it is, it's funny. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's heartbreaking. It's bittersweet, but it also has, 
you know, this group of girls who started off just being the best of friends. And yeah, they're a little bit uh, bloodthirsty. But we wanted to (laughs) stay true to that in their character, but also show their development and show the growth of the team as well. And when it came to the end, we really wanted the readers to revisit that team that they met in the first book and see how it expanded a little bit and kind of just smile and be happy and have some like jokes in there because we really wanted it to be an a fun ending because the book is definitely a roller coaster mm-hmm. and so we might as well let them uh, enjoy the the ending or maybe they won't enjoy the ending because maybe there's lots of bad things and I'm just throwing red herrings at them right now <laughs> who knows <laughs> don't worry they'll let you know if Ooh, they yeah. like it or not yeah I'm just saying there is an ice dragon in this book oh, and yes okay. I totally stole that from Game of Thrones. <laughs> We actually, like, took two things from Game of Thrones. There's a character in our mm-hmm. book, Gilly. She's part of the squad. And uh, she, her name was, like, a a temporary name for the full book of Zenith. Yeah. And we're supposed to change it because Gilly is a character in Game of Thrones. Yeah. Uh, she's uh, Sam's, like, a uh, girlfriend, wife type thing. Yeah. And uh, so we're like, oh, yeah, we're just, I love that name, but, like, we're just going to change it later. We never changed it. So Game of Thrones in the first book. And then yeah. Ice Dragon, Game of Thrones, second book. So there's a third author for this book. Oh, George yeah. R. R. Martin. Yeah. 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 He's totally a co-author. That's like, why if it's been to, taking him so long yeah. to write yeah. the other he's series. He's been busy books. with yeah. you guys. Exactly. Actually, he's our ghostwriter. <laughs> 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 we did nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so to bring us back, uh, Okay, hypothetical. Mm-hmm. Most important question you've ever been asked. I'm ready. If you had to switch lives with one member of the crew of the Marauder, Ooh. who would it be and why? Oh my gosh, this is a good one. Um, I always joke around because I'm like, you know what? Like most of the characters in this book, like it, I, I cannot relate to them because I really want to create characters that I really didn't have much myself in because mm-hmm. I thought it would be really fun. Yeah. Lindsay is totally Andy though, like 120%. <laughs> she like, she definitely kills people on the weekend and mm-hmm. her starship. It's great. Um, <laughs> NASA hates her. Uh, but so like I, um, so if I could change place with the character, the easy way I would be like, oh yeah, the character that's like me. But honestly, every character in this book is put through so, so much <laughs> and their lives are not easy. So you know what? I would be the AI Alfie because mm-hmm. he is so oblivious. He is just like, he has like a little relationship with the ship memory um, because why not AI romance? We love that. Yeah, it really puts the shipping and shipping in. I, oh, yeah. that's a good one. Yeah, you can, oh, you can use that. I'm yeah, going to steal that. Yeah, that's all I'll yours. trademark it for you. Yeah, yeah don't worry. Yeah, thank you. I just want, <laughs> I want 2% of whatever profits you get okay, off of Okay, sounds yeah. good. Sounds good. I'm down. Yeah, so like um, I love Alfie because like he's literally the comic relief. Um, he's He also has been through a lot but at least he doesn't feel that much pain. He's just like, <laughs> it's like this happy, oblivious little AI that's yeah. just so blunt that it ends up being very uh, humorous throughout the story. Mm. Because you're like, oh, wow, that's really direct. I like that. (laughs) And Andy hates him. (laughs) So since I said it as like you were going to be switching lives, Mm -hmm. so then how would Alfie do if it was like Freaky Friday style, like totally body switched? And then like he was living your life or Alfie. I don't want to sign a gender to to that robot. We call call him a him just because like the name is more male gendered. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, uh, (laughs) if you were to switch into my body, I think that he would just like everybody that he meets, he would just go up to them and like take their blood pressure and like <laughs> tell them their like family tree and just tell them like the useless information. And you'll be like, yeah. what? Like, that do I know you? Nice to like, me. going up to, yeah. yeah, like, okay. Like, or he'll go up, he'll be like, you have red hair. Or like, you like, like, he yes, just speaks the obvious. Like, and then, yeah. so I think that like um, my roommates would just be like, yep, 
Sasha just being Sasha. <laughs> so maybe I do relate to Alfie. Like I, I am very just like spacey sometimes and Alfie can be seen as spacey. Mm. So, I mean, I would be very interesting to see how we would trade places. <laughs> but hey, AI. We got to make it happen. AIs yeah. are awesome. Seriously. Um, do you have an author bucket list? And if you don't, mm. let's create one right now. Oh my gosh. What have you already crossed off? What do you want to put on there? This is yeah. so good. Yeah. So we totally should make one. I'll tell you the two that one of the, the top ones that I've already marked off mm-hmm. was becoming a New York Times bestselling author. Yeah. That was so exciting. And, you know, I feel like a lot of pressure is being put on the list just by yourself too. Like you're like, yeah. oh my gosh, that's like the goal. And then when it happens, you're like, oh, what's happening? Now it will be like put in front of your name and everything written about yeah, you ever exactly. for the like rest exactly. of time. Like your 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 tombstone will be like here like New York Times bestselling author. author. Like author. love yeah. it. Like yeah. it's so awesome. Like <laughs> JK Rowling who. Um <laughs> But like something I want to mark off my bucket list that I haven't already is writing my first book by myself because I have written a book by myself, but it hasn't been published or anything. So having that book published would be honestly the top one. But I want to make, I want to add some to that. What should we add to the bucket list? I feel like uh, writing a big hit book in a totally different genre under a pen name that people don't know it's you. Oh, I've wanted to I do like that. Yeah. I wanted to write something. I mean, they'll know it's me when I say it, but it's okay. Yeah. I want to do, um, uh, what was it? Um, something, S, S.A. Marie or something like that. So <laughs> Sasha Allsberg Marie. Marie is my mm-hmm. middle name. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, and I wanted to write like smutty romance, like really badly. But like, honestly, like actually my audience, my readers would probably read it. Like one thing that I like, um, <laughs> notice is that my audience grows with me. Like, mm-hmm. they're growing up with me. Like, we're the same yeah. age almost. Um, and so, like, if I write that, they'll buy it. <laughs> yeah, because, like, <laughs> Why you just not? write what you would buy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But, like, um, I'm the kind of author that wants to write genres that are, like, so polar opposite than the ones I've already published. Mm-hmm. Like, I have, like, an urban fantasy that I'm um, currently writing. I have, like, a crime uh, unreliable narrator book that mm-hmm. I'm also going to be writing soon. I have, like, a contemporary rom-com. Like, there's so many different <laughs> ones. And I'm like, who ever said to stay in my genre? I'm never doing yeah. that. Yeah. I like that then as you're like, just yeah. put, throw all the genres on your bucket list yeah. and keep crossing them off until you, know, you print them all. Bucket lists yeah. are so much fun. Like, because I, I guess like, you know, another one was uh, getting, somebody getting a tattoo from my book and I've had two of them so far. <laughs> two people have gotten tattoos from my book and what I'm like, what were the tattoos? Um, one of them was the symbol yeah, on yeah. the front that cover. Makes sense. And yeah. one of them was fly true, which is what the characters say mm-hmm. to each other. Kind of like Godspeed. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. It, I was like, oh my gosh, you got that tattooed on your body forever. Thank you. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love that when it's like they got the tattoo as fans and you're like, and they're like, do you have a tattoo of your book? And you're like, no. no. Actually, the thing is, Lindsay and I were like, we're telling everybody we're like, yeah, if if, uh, we, if we hit the New York Times list, we'll get a tattoo from the book. And we just never did it. And like right now, like I have a weird thing for the number four. I just like number four, I have four tattoos. I'm not going to mm-hmm. get any more. So yeah. now I'm not going to get into a tattoo for. Or else you have to get Nexus. one burned off. I know, like, exactly. <laughs> just be like, Rrr. Yeah, put it over <laughs> top of that one. I know, right? Like, hey, that'll be good. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds terrifying. It um, does. So both you and Lindsay were published authors at like a pretty young age to be a published author. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the most important piece of advice you have for young aspiring authors looking to break into the business? Now that you're uh-huh. at like a, the super wise age of, of, 22. of 22. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. kind of a weird thing that because I started all this when I was, well, I started uh, in the book community when I was like 15 and a half. And then I public, and then I started writing yeah. my, own, my like first book when I was 18, published it at 19. Mm-hmm. You know, I 
think the best advice I would give someone is, well, I have a few things. Um, the first thing is to not stray away just because your age, no matter how old or how young you are. If you love doing it, do it. Um, I highly always recommend um, Susan Dennard's uh, website because she is an author. She um, published uh, the Truth Witch series mm -hmm. and Witchland series, excuse me. Um, and she has so many wonderful writing resources on her website. And she has been such a huge help uh, to me as an author especially even at this stage of my career, like you are always learning. So I always recommend people head over there. Um, I also really recommend jumping in on like Pitch Wars and uh, what's another one? There's a, I know Pitch Wars like, yeah. like really well. That's a huge one. And you pitch to like um, agents and you get like uh, mentors and mentees. Mm -hmm. And it's this great thing on Twitter that got started because um, because people really people were- needed it. Yeah, like, needing yeah. it. It's so hard to break into this industry. Mm -hmm. I luckily um, had- kind of like a foot in the door because I knew a lot of people in, in this industry and I had lots of really wonderful friends through my uh, my book blogging career. Yeah. So like, you know, start a book, book blog, make friends with authors, not for like the sole reason for getting, you know, an agent or just for publishing your book. Do it because like they're really wonderful people yeah. and they're so much fun to have friends just at all the different stages of within the book community. And mm -hmm. it's so much fun. But, you know, making those really wonderful like friendships, you know, if you help out somebody, they'll help out you. And it's really a wonderful thing to have within this community that can be seen as so closed off sometimes. Yeah. So I know you're about to be on tour promoting Nexus. Like you literally are like about to like start yeah. the tour at the time it's of this crazy. recording. Yeah. Uh, I know it's the end of this duology, but I can't help looking into the future. So what is next immediately? Yeah. Yeah, well, um, I'm first going to talk about what's next for Lindsay because mm -hmm. she has something really exciting coming up, and it's set in stone. She has a new book coming out, I believe, in 2020. And if you're a fan of fantasy and science fiction, so like Zenith and Nexus, of course, but also like Sarah J. Mass books, you're going to love her upcoming novel. Uh, the name has not been revealed, but it is on Ooh. Goodreads, I believe. Mm -hmm. So that is so exciting for Lindsay. I'm like so hyped for her. Um, and for me, I've been working on a book for the past almost two and a half years but I had the idea, the seed for it, like literally like five to six years ago. And it's an urban folklore fantasy novel, which Ooh, I've I've had okay. a codename for it, which is codename Project Red. Uh, the real title has yet to be revealed. Mm. I do know it though. What what can you tell us about that story or about yeah. like, which urban folk? Folklore, fantasy, yeah. it's my crazy mesh of a bunch of genres. So um, I've been keeping it pretty like secretive, but okay. uh, what I have revealed- We won't tell, to the, just to our listeners. Yeah. Oh yeah, just to you guys. So uh, if they're fans of Outlander mixed with a little bit like the Terminator, but like not on the way you think of it, mixed with okay. like Sleepy Hollow, you're going to love this book. <laughs> but yeah, but thank you for having me on. <laughs> yeah, no problem. We'll have you back on when the next book comes out. Great. Thank you again to Sasha Allsberg. You can get your copy of her and Lindsay Cummings' finale to the Indroma saga, Nexus, wherever you get your audiobooks. And if you're still on the fence about getting the audiobook, we're going to push you right over that fence with an extended clip from Nexus, which is narrated by a large cast of narrators, including Jordan Claire McCraw, Stephen Dexter, Caitlin Davies, Nicole Zanzarella, and Michael Ray Hall. Enjoy. Dextro Arez had never truly believed that the god stars were tangible beings. They were soul-felt, a comforting presence inside your heart, an idea that filled your mind as if soldered on with iron and fire. Always nearby, 
yet as far away as the stars in the night sky. Dex's body was tattooed with the god star's white constellations, a living shrine to their power and strength. Here, on his left arm, were the twisting, intertwining patterns that symbolized the twin god stars of life and light. And on the back of his right shoulder, stretching up toward his neck, the angular constellation that marked the god star of hope. But tonight, as Dex slumped forward in his chair, the thick, rigid lines of the god star of death stared up at him from his left hand. The tattoo stretched out like a narrowing eye as he clenched his fist. Dex looked away from it, swallowing hard. He felt as if death were truly here, a beast breathing down his neck as he turned his gaze to Androma's pale, still form. Andy had been unconscious for nearly a week now. Dex knew that it was due at least in part to the painkillers they'd given her for the wound on her chest, a parting gift from the traitorous Valencortis who'd turned his blade on her after stabbing his own father during Queen Nor's attack on Andy's home planet, Arcardius. But Dex also wondered if Andy's mind just wasn't ready to return her to this world yet, too terrified by what had transpired in the moments before Valen tried to kill her. And if that were true, how long would it be before she came back to them? Wake up, he pleaded silently as he watched her. We can't do this without you, Andy. Whatever this was, Dex wasn't quite sure. The fate of the entire galaxy had changed, the hopes and dreams of so many melting away into the shadows the moment Nor Solis took control. They'd all assumed that the cataclysm had destroyed the threat of Zentera forever, that the final battle had drained the planet's resources and broken the will of its people and their queen. No one had ever imagined that Queen Nor would someday rise again, or that she'd somehow have the ability to bring all of Mirabel under her dominion. There was only one person who might have the power to free the galaxy from Nor's rule, and yet completely unaware that the lives of millions now rested in her hands. Wake up, Andy, he thought again. She looked so frail as she lay on the soft white medical bed now, lost in sleep. Dex winced as he imagined what she likely saw there. Nightmares. Never dreams. Not anymore. The harsh lights of the med bay bounced off of the silver plates implanted across Andy's cheekbones as Dex leaned back, stretching his aching muscles. He'd hardly moved from this spot since they'd fled Arcardius, determined to be by her side when she finally awoke, determined to be the one to tell her all that had happened, even though he couldn't yet find the words to do so. Dex closed his eyes, remembering that fateful night, remembering the desperate words of Cyprian Cortus, the former general of Arcardius, as he lay dying in this very medbay. The fate of the galaxy is at stake. The leaders are dead, and I'm sure their successors soon will be as well. 
Androma is the only Arcardian on this ship once I die. If she survives, Androma Rosella will be the rightful general of Arcardius. General of Arcardius, leader of the planet that had once wanted her dead. God's stars how she would hate the very idea of it. Dex sighed heavily and shifted his chair closer to Andy, tentatively grazing a hand against hers. The warmth of her skin was soothing, that small sign of life the only thing that made the knot of tension inside him loosen in the slightest. He studied the thick white bandage on her chest just below her collarbone. Hidden beneath were the dark stitches that held her skin together mending the flesh that Valen's knife had torn apart. Dex had seen and inflicted plenty of wounds, some far more gruesome than this. But seeing Andy in such a state brought back a wave of memories that sent his head spinning out of control. Valencourt has stood before Andy at the Eucatoria Ball, blood dripping from the knife he'd just plunged into her chest. Andy fell to her knees, grasping for the hilt with shaking hands, wrenching the blade free. Then she swayed, and the knife tumbled to the ground as Andy collapsed, surrounded by a growing pool of her own blood. He was too late. For a heartbeat, Dex thought she was dead. All around him, the room was growing quieter, the screams dying down. A few more shots here, a few more there. The thump of a body hitting the floor, the click of another silver bullet sliding into a rifle's chamber. Dex finally reached the stage. The system leaders were huddled together in their chairs, bodies of patrolmen littering the ground around them. But Andy was the only person he had eyes for. Hang on, Dex said to Andy. His fingers found her throat a tiny heartbeat beneath her skin. You just hang on. Dex blinked at the sound of Andy's sudden groan. He realized he'd been squeezing her hand too hard. The ends of his fingernails, ragged from chewing the past few sleepless nights, were biting into her palm. He let go at once, but leaned forward all the same, unable to look away from her face. Andy? Her eyelids fluttered. For a moment, Dex feared she was dying, that her stitches had become infected, or the blood that Lon had donated in the few precious moments after their escape had mixed wrongly with hers, universal donor or not. Perhaps even the godstar of death, still so hauntingly present in this room, was laughing as he raised a shadowy scythe and readied himself to bring Andy to the other side. But then... Her eyes opened, gray as a storming sea. Dex let out a whooshing breath that he hadn't even realized he'd been holding. Hey, he said, feeling the tightness flood from him, gone in an instant. How are you feeling? Dex? For a moment, Andy simply looked around, as if trying to make sense of her surroundings. She seemed calm, just a person waking from a sound night of sleep. Then her eyes slowly moved to lock onto Dex's, and confusion seemed to sweep through her as her forehead wrinkled. 
What happened? Andy asked. Her voice was raw from disuse, a whisper trying to break free into something more. You're alive, Dex said, unable to stop a smile of relief from spreading across his face. You're safe. Safe? Andy asked. She tried to sit up and groaned, a hand flying up toward the white bandages covering the knife wound in her chest. This was the most awake she'd been in days. Dex took a deep breath, reaching for her hand, still unsure of how to explain it all to her. She may have been gravely injured, but she wasn't a child. She wasn't weak in her heart or her soul. She could handle this, though it might come close to breaking her. There was an attack on Arcadius, Dex said. During Eucatoria, do you remember? Andy's eyes hardened. Nor Solis, she came and... Dex's words trailed off. How could he explain what had happened? How could he tell her that an entire ballroom of people he'd thought dead had suddenly risen and pledged allegiance to the very woman who'd attacked them, the very woman they'd all feared, hated, for nearly ten years? Worst of all, how could he tell Andy that her crew was among the dead then risen who had joined Nor's side? Where is Lyra? Andy asked suddenly. Breck and Gilly... Dex's heart nearly stopped beating. He opened his mouth, but no words came out. And then he saw Andy's expression change as she remembered, the memories slamming into her, making her recoil away from him. My crew, Andy croaked out, voice still raw. He handed her a cup of water. She gulped it down greedily. Androma, Dex pleaded. I tried. I tried to get to them, but there was so much chaos. So many enemies, and you were dying. Her eyes were wide with fear and rage. Her entire body had begun to shake. Where is my crew? She sat up so suddenly he couldn't stop her, the lurching movement so rough that she cried out in pain. The cup clattered to the floor. Her hand became a vice over Dex's, his fingers crushed beneath hers. She gritted her teeth and swung her legs over the edge of the bed, facing him head-on, and pain flared in her eyes as red began to blossom against the white of her bandages. Where are they? Andy asked. Please, Dex, tell me where they are. There... How could he be the one to break her with such news? He'd only just earned back her forgiveness mere days ago, after years spent hoping to find a place in her heart once more. And now he'd betrayed her again. He was a coward, a failure for not being able to save her crew before Nor had overtaken them. God stars, Andy. I'm so sorry. We left them behind. He hated the words the second they fell from his lips, but what was he to do? He couldn't hide a damn thing from her. She'd already seen the answer in his traitorous eyes, 
and that the moment she left this med bay, she'd find the ship cold and empty, Lon the only other soul aboard. No, Andy mouthed, so silent Dex could hardly hear the word. She shook her head, disbelief flooding her features, darkening the half-circles beneath her eyes. No. There was no way for me to get to them in the aftermath of the attack, Dex said, his voice choked. The last I saw, they were alive, but they were... Andy, they joined with Nor. Everyone in that Arcadian ballroom had... Everyone but Dex and Andy and a few others, but Zentaran soldiers had slaughtered those other people at once. He'd never forget the way that Andy's fierce crew had fallen, how they'd risen again and hailed Nor as their queen. Leaving them behind had pained him, still haunted him. He would relive that day forever in his heart and in his mind. We have to go to them she insisted. Before he could open his mouth to respond, Andy was on her feet, the loose gray pants she wore swishing as she whirled and stumbled for the door. Andy! Dex lunged toward her. Stop! She slammed the red exit button beside the door, then wobbled and nearly dropped to a knee, gasping in pain. But she recovered as the door opened, the silver hallways of the marauder waiting beyond. Dex leaped in front of her, arms outspread. You have to rest, he said. You're going to rip open your stitches even more. Valen almost reached your heart. Andy looked down at her chest as if just noticing the wound for the first time. I wish he had reached it, she said, eyes wide and reddening with tears that Dex knew she wouldn't shed. I don't want to live without them. Already her blood had soaked through the bandage, and he wobbled, leaning against the doorframe. She had too many pain meds in her system. She hadn't eaten in days. Dex didn't even know how she was still standing. Move, she growled. Please, Dextro, before I move you myself. Don't you think I want to? Dex asked. Andy... I've hardly slept since we left them behind. I've hardly eaten, hardly done anything but sit by your bedside and relive that night in my mind. Gilly, Lyra, Breck. They'd become important to Dex, too, and he'd betrayed them, betrayed Andy by leaving them behind. Even Lon, normally so gentle and calm, had looked as if he'd wanted to kill him when Dex arrived on the Marauder with Andy and the General in tow, but without Lon's twin sister, Lyra. Why had it all fallen to Dex? He couldn't change the tide of this war alone. He swallowed hard. There's nothing we can do. Nothing. You weren't conscious. You didn't see what happened to them. You didn't see how they changed. Dex reached out to grab her shoulders, to guide her gently back to the bed, but Andy screamed in fury, slamming the wall with her fist as she stumbled away from him. Damn you, Dextro! Get the hell out of my way! Please! Dex begged. Already he could feel the weakness inside of him, that hideous fear of losing her again when he'd only just gotten her back. 
Please just let me help you. There's nothing you can do for them, Andy, not before you rest and heal. You can't do this to me, she whispered, her voice shook. Please, Dex, you can't hurt me like this. I'm trying to protect you. Because I love you, Dex thought. But the words failed him, and his hands fell to his sides. I don't want to be protected, Andy said. Not now. She turned around, shoulders slumping as she pressed one hand to her chest and shuffled back toward her bed, breathing heavily. Dex ached seeing her this way. He ached because he was a traitor to her, a traitor to her crew. But there was no way to save them. Not now, at least. Maybe not ever. He still didn't know how Nor and the Zentarans had taken control, or what was in those silver bullets, or if there was any way to reverse what had been done to everyone's minds. And he had no idea how far and how wide Nor's reign had spread in the days since they'd fled Arcadius. For all Dex knew, Nor now had control of the entire galaxy. I swear to you, Dex said, trailing Andy across the room. I swear on my life, Andy, we'll figure out what Nor did to your crew. We'll figure out a way to get to them. We just have to... Andy whirled around, her face a mask of pain as she swung her fist at him. Dex ducked reflexively, but the hit connected at the last moment. He gasped at the pinch of pain in his neck. Then a languorous warmth flowed through him as if he was sinking into the hot springs of Adhira. Dex reached up slowly, dreamily, his fingers clumsily removing the empty syringe buried in his skin. The same syringe that had just been sitting on the bedside table left there by lawn should Andy wake in too much pain. The syringe full of sodoom, a potent pain medication. Why? Dex gasped, but he should have expected something like this. The syringe fell with a soft clink to the floor, and Dex followed, hardly aware as his knees hit the ground. He knew he only had moments before the sodoom would steal him away. Warmth swam through his veins, too fast for him to ignore, already beckoning him to enter the folds of deep sleep. He heard gentle footsteps and ragged breathing as Andy stepped closer. When he looked up, her features were already melding together, fuzzy at the edges as she stood over him, her chest bleeding bright red in the stark medbay lights. A trickle of blood seeped out from the wrappings, staining her shirt as it slid down her abdomen. I'm sorry, Dex, Andy said, her voice like a funeral dirge as his head hit the floor. There is no me without them. When she left the med bay, she was no longer Androma Rosella. The bloody baroness stepped into the halls of the marauder, a captain who would tear apart the skies to rescue her crew. Harper Audio Presents is a presentation of HarperCollins Publishers. Our staff includes Beth Ives, Fametta Sawyer, Nathan Rossborough, and me, Andrew Caberlein. Follow us on Instagram at HarperAudio and reach out to us on Twitter at HarperAudio Presents.